0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Mann. I'm one of the many mats. And this is Digitally Rare, a show about digitally owned things now and in unique and novel auction mechanisms. Digitally rare.
1: Digitally
0: rare. Welcome, everybody. Another episode, another day. We have Hugo McDonough with us. Hugo I met at Devcon and was sort of shocked and rather appalled that I had never met him or heard of him and his cohort before. Hugo comes to us really from the the old-timey days, just like the last few people that we've had on. This is like a a real OG in the space, but as Hugo and I have discussed on multiple occasions, just sort of not really not really known and uh, i i would like to change that today hugo welcome thanks for coming on the podcast
2: well thanks for having me guys yeah very much looking forward to getting stuck in
0: so hugo let's start because the the place where i really want to go is to there's been like there's you keep telling me about these really novel interesting smart contracts that you and your brethren have created and so i really want to get to those but before we get to those let's start with yeah take us back to the beginning with cryptograph and the infinite regenerative stuff that that you guys were working on in the beginning there
2: sure so um yeah i guess my crypto story sort of starts in 2013 ish discovery of bitcoin white paper i was working in banking at the time probably a similar story for most people just went down the rabbit hole and was like peer-to-peer currency. This is just so dope. And that's where the sort of journey started for me around the same sort of time, actually, my older brother, a guy called George McDonough, also discovered Bitcoin, totally separate, universally discovered it in. And then he ended up founding a company called KR1, which is a super successful sort of publicly listed investment firm in this space. And I went to Imperial College Business School, where I met my two other co-founders, Edouard and Guillaume. Guillaume's the CTO, Edouard's my, my right-hand man, the COO. And we were experimenting in university. It was an early stage business course. Straight out of that, we decided to start a company in virtual reality for real estate. Way too early. Like <laughs> we were running around London trying to like put DK One kits on the top of like on the heads of of, of chairmen and CEOs of Savills and these huge estate agency companies JLL, and we were just giving them Nausea. But we were like, "This is the future, guys!" And they were like, "Yeah, I've got Nausea. So. Um, we learned a lot about being too early, and like a lot about what it was like to build early with early stage technology. And after a year of sort of playing around with that, or a year and a half, NFTs were just about appearing into our consciousness in terms of the Ethereum side of things. That's where it really came onto the map for us. So I guess this was kind of like, yeah, sort of early twenty seventeen, mid like twenty seventeen. I guess with the with the advent of CryptoPunks, and. That for us really captured our imagination with the help of also my older brother, George, who sort of was introducing us to this emerging technology in the space. And we just kind of looked at it and were like, I mean, at some point in the future, every non-fungible asset in the world is gonna be represented by a token. And we kind of wanted to be a part of that journey. We want to be a part of that journey because we see just so many better effects from that being the case you know, in terms of authenticity, transparency, liquidity, just all, those, all the things that we, that we know and love. So in the middle of 2017, we were like, okay, well, we've got to start something in this space. What are we going to start? And at the time, obviously very small market, monthly volumes were tens of thousands. There was like maybe a thousand of us, a couple thousand of us, who knows? And we were like, okay, well, we need to create something that can sort of live in this very small world. But at the same time, try to bring in mainstream audience because we wanted to showcase the power of this technology and bring new people into the space. And that whole culminated with cryptograph. Cryptograph is the idea of bringing sort of like the power of NFTs in the form of like a perpetually philanthropic giving instrument, let's say, into, into fruition. So the idea was that we would get famous creators, people from the crypto space, and people from, you know, mainstream personality, Hollywood brand space. And we would get them to create assets, in this case, drawings on iPads, because that was the easiest way, the simplest way we could sort of walk it into people and be like, look, draw something and we will show you the power of the technology, basically. Because I can tell you that explaining the concept of an NFT to some talent was at that time, most definitely uh, a tar. Certainly at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was impossible. Right, right. Yeah.
0: It was a tall order. Yeah.
2: It was a pretty tall order. But it was really interesting, and we had some really cool pieces. Like you know, Vitalik did that was the first one we ever created and sold. He did the quadratic funding formula as his cryptograph, and then lots of and, other people in the space.
0: And that is, as far as we know, the very first Vitalik NFT that
1: ever existed. I, I, I
2: believe so. Yeah. yeah. I, I, wow. I believe is.
0: Claiming a first, there,
2: planting a um, first flag. Deaf yeah. beef
1: like twitches. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> And, and some other really cool, you know, like, I mean, Emin did a really cool one, Jake Bruckman, Roger Ver, so it was, you know, Voorhees, it was a whole variety, but the idea was just kind of celebrate crypto pioneers and people who are really burgeoning the space. And then we did ones with crypto artists, so a lot of the grassroots crypto art community, you know, a lot of money did one in the early days, Hexiosis, uh, and many others, um, we did like five or six there, Miss Al Simpson, and that was really fun. And then it was combining it with like Paris Hilton, Jason Momoa, Ashton Kutcher, Ryan Felipe, Kristen Wiig, all these kind of, you know, major personality brands. And it was really fun and really interesting. And we launched it. It took us about a year to build, a year and a bit. And it was basically three of us in a room. Guillaume built the whole thing, which was kind of extraordinary. And because we were playing around with the idea of something that is perpetually giving, we had to do a lot of thinking about things that we're still thinking about in the space right now, like royalties and like destruction, burning. So because we were like, the task of this asset is to give forever to the creator, the charity, and a little bit to us as well, to create everybody's incentives to be aligned so that they would deliver value to this thing long term. That was the idea, or is the idea. And so... We're like, okay, well, how do we stop people from circumventing royalties? Because it's like super easy to do. And we're discovering that kind of like right now, right? And so we created this little extension to the ERC 721, which is just called, I think it's EIP 2665. Um, We haven't gone through the standardization processes yet, but it basically just meant that you can't transfer the token between wallets without paying a fee. So it was like a super aggressive form of like, you can't move this thing unless you're, you're giving back in some form. Which at the time actually created a little bit of waves in the space. There obviously weren't many people because they were like, "Well, is this ownership? Is this not true ownership?" You know, it's a. And our stance is that this whole thing is an experimentation in ownership, and because it's programmable, we should be implementing different forms. And because the purpose of this asset is to be perpetually passive income generating, it's kind of important. So we that was one little thing we did. Is so is that
0: on. implemented on every cryptograph? Is that's a is that a that's a th- okay? So that is a thing that is like out there. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I, this is the first thing. Like, when you told me this, I was like, well, wow, that's fascinating. You know, like, just like it's it's a very aggressive, simple solution to right. this entire Everyone says, oh, you can't do it. Well, you
2: can do I it. Mean, you can. It's just a very <laughs>
1: yeah. specific mode of yeah, interacting. Yeah, I mean, with this I thing. mean there
2: are probably, right. st- it's like a spectrum of security, right? Like, the way we've done it makes it the hardest to try and circumvent and a real pain in the ass. Not doing it at all or not implementing any form of to standard, pretty easy. And it's about, optionality for creators and across the spectrum, right?
1: Yeah. And I think for a lot of things like this, it's less so the uh, technical security or implementation details. It's more about the signal or the message you send by having this be the the default. Um, I think that's pretty, like extremely powerful as well.
2: Yeah, 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 no, I I totally agree with that. And then I guess the second part to it was this thing called the Renatus function. So we obviously, segmenting the royalty was an important thing to try and solve. And then the second one was, well, what if somebody burns this? Like, what if Obama did a cryptograph and someone out there really doesn't like him and is going to like burn the cryptograph so that it can't produce income anymore? So we kind of created a kind of a dead man switch for the token. So we basically implemented something so that if you send it to a burn address, i.e. address with absolutely no ability to interact with, after a certain period of time, after having sent, like we would send warnings to the wallet address owner, like we would ask them to just press this button to show you can still interact, you know, all these things. After, after a certain period of time, which was a number of years, I think it's five years on cryptograph, if nothing was ever called, and it was like, clearly burned, and no one could interact with anything, a function would open up that anybody could call, which would put it back on the market. So it would kind of like reset its code, and it would come back to the market based on where it was last kind of purchased. And that meant that technically, you know, you can sabotage it, you can destroy it, which was the idea behind it. So those are the kind of right. two, yeah, like innovations that we came up with in the in the early days with, with cryptograph and still there and will continue. There are other things like each cryptograph itself is like its own smart contract. And, you know, they're very deeply implemented kinds of NFTs, let's say, because we thought a lot, a lot about how we would do this and try and make them as unique as possible.
1: Wow. Very cool.
2: Yeah. And then we launched it in, I think, uh, late 2019, early 2020. And we had, we went through, the launch was super exciting. Uh, it was really interesting to see. I'll talk about, you know, the bidding system and, and all of this. Yeah, yeah. But um, we, we entered the realm of all of the problems that we've all experienced, <laughs> which is like clunky UX, Yeah, <laughs> gas prices just going totally AWOL. We had Paris Hilton DMing her followers and sorry, we had Paris and tweeting to our followers. We were getting loads of DMs. Like
0: how hey, do this I is so cool?
2: Yeah. What's an NFT? How do I play? Like, what yeah, is this? Yeah. yeah and yeah. we're like, well, there's this thing called MetaMask and Tumbleweeds. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. yeah. like, you just them.
0: Before, them. before you move on to that, I want to hear Matt's reaction to the dead man. Sure. To the to the to the um inability to to destroy it. Because because those two things on their own is very interesting because it, it really subverts our idea of what owning an NFT means. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in an absolutely good way, which is, like you said, like we have this ability to program these things to do these things. We should be experimenting with. I I, I almost really love the idea of the inability to burn something, even though we've talked about this podcast so much that like one of the things about owning something is being
2: able to destroy it. Right. Right. Yeah, you're almost like a guardian when it comes to cryptographs.
0: Right. I don't know, Matt, if you had any if you had any further thoughts on that given what we given my talking.
1: my uh hard stance on like what is the base requirements of ownership yeah. of
0: a, of ownership, yeah.
1: I mean I think I think this is fine because I think the purpose of, for example, the seven twenty-one standard was to set the minimum defaults. And anything on top of that is cool and experimental, but like for example, having this embedded in seven twenty one would like I'd go crazy. But like as an experiment in a hyperspecific hyper specific and contextual form, which is a cryptograph, this makes perfect sense, right? And especially it's like this resurrection mechanic. I wouldn't want that on all NFTs, of course, but like as a feature of a cryptograph, like that's a benefit, that's a cool thing, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's totally our, our view as well, right? Like I 100% agree the 721 needs to be, you know, like a minimum viable product of what is right, the baseline. Right, like neutral. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly given given that given that like
0: that some autoglyphs right and i know at least one autoglyph and like several punks have been like accidentally burned let's say so i'm of two minds right i have one mind where i'm like well that sucks and now they're incomplete collections and and i would love to get it back but the flip side of that actually is that like it adds to the story, it adds to the lore, it has like a power of like, oh, this happened, yeah, you know. That's a
1: silver lining. Yeah. I think the hardline stance of that other side is like if I send an autoglyph to the burn address, like that is within my right to fuck up mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And also who knows whether it was intentional or not? Like it's it sort of leaned on the code as law argument. And so like both of those perspectives are correct. Yeah. You know, both are right. I think it's a matter of the the social layer, at which point we start th- saying like, OK, cool, we should be able to like recover this thing or not. But yeah, this is why, like, for example, with royalties, I'm perfectly happy that 721 doesn't enforce royalties. I think that would be an overstepping of its mm. like job. Purview, the fact yeah. that people can circumvent vo- royalties is a feature of the technical situation we're in. And I think that like that could be solved at the social layer, which, you know, maybe we'll see it right now, like OpenSea is doing the whole technical thing. We don't have to go into this, but like that's that's my uh, how it links to the sort of like the stack that we're building in terms of like features of digital ownership, digitally owned things.
0: In terms of the the function of not being able to transfer it without paying the royalty, I wonder how many artists who are doing the black, you know, they're going the blacklisting route, you know, like this is what we talked to Mitchell about on, on his episode about royalties. I wonder how many of them would, would rather go this other route, right? It's, it, it's sort of accomplishing the same, almost accomplishing the same thing. Uh, may, I think totally. it feels, it feels, stri- it feels more straightforward to me to put this function of like, you can't transfer it without paying the royalties rather than blacklisting whoever or whatever. It's like,
1: right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd support that as long as the like the EIP for this like must pay royalties version of your 721 is like ratified and published, and like you can look at a contract and be like, yes, it requires payment to do the transfer function. Like, cool. Otherwise, you're breaking the standard, and that's no good for anyone. Right. 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 Do you, ha- do you guys have
0: any plans to, to 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 submit the EIP or or whatever? Like,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, we we sort of did like early on back in the day yeah following the, the rigor of, you know we were too yeah. busy like trying yeah. to make it work and implement it than going through the process but we definitely want to do that and we'll yeah. do that at some point i guess we thought early on it was just like here's what we're doing here's a project where it's being implemented check it out and then we like will, when, when we, we have guys, time we yeah. will do the you know turn it into an erc basically i guess or, or yes. whatever or an extension to 721 somehow or
0: when you guys do that, it's going to make people so mad. It's going to be like... it's will be drive a topic, people, yeah. Yeah, it'll drive people absolutely
2: nuts. It probably it probably will. I mean, yeah. we had a little bit of that in the early days. Yeah. In the small community of like 20 people in the Discord that we'd sort of picked to discuss our framework and how we were doing it. There was you know, some people who were like totally into the idea of the experimentation and some who were like, this, this is everything that it shouldn't be yeah. in terms of like what digital ownership is our position as a company and myself is it's just really all about creating optionality and choice for an individual. Yeah. And let's, let's try and create as many different iterations of things as possible so that a creator can be just as armed as a buyer in terms of what they're willing to engage in or not. Right.
0: Yes. That's the thing is like right now, all the optionality is in the hands of the marketplaces. They are, they get to make all the decisions they get to dictate. For everybody, what works, and whenever I hear people say you can't solve, you know, oh, royalties just simply cannot be solved on the technical level, it's like, well, that's not true. You might not like it. <laughs> you might not like the solution, and you might think that it breaks the ownership somehow. But sure, that's a philosophical question, not a a fact.
2: Right, 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 right. And and like the the yeah, I mean, for us. Uh, my nft when the time comes and we release the minting infrastructure that we want to release the idea is to try and put that as an option in as layman's terms as possible this like array of possibilities in front of a creator in front of a minter
0: JPEG's got you down? Buy a -a song-a-day today. The floor price is low and the music will change your life. Why? Just listen to this
1: testimonial. After I bought a -a song-a-day NFT, I understand why kids love Cinnamon Toast Crunch.
0: Wow! Visit songaday.co slash cheap. That's songaday.co slash cheap. And get your very own sad NFT today. Now back to the show so we left off you you would launch cryptograph and we we're maybe like going sure. into DeFi summer is that around that is that sort right. of around that right. time or, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah yeah gas was like off
0: the charts like ridiculous
2: totally so we started so so as a part of cryptograph and those two other iteration those two other innovations of those little functions was um the gbm auction system this
0: which is the, this is the real shit here this, so matt just get a, get a load of this. Get My a ears are open. <laughs> yeah, and by the Wait. way, let's rename the GBM auction as soon as, as soon as possible.
2: Right, right. Bid, 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 bid to earn, I guess. Bid is, is to, to earn the is the name. I think to be a way name. Yeah. So GBM just stands for the surname to the founders, Gono, Bazier, McDonough, because we're super cool. unoriginal. <laughs> and weirdly, it turns out that every auction system invented previous, like the English auction, the Dutch auction, the Vickery auction, were either named after a place or a person. So we weren't that far away from tradition. Okay. Nice. Even though we weren't really thinking,
1: Matt auctions as well.
2: Yeah, yeah auctions. <laughs> <exactly. laughs> oh, that's true. That's yeah. true.
0: Dan Dan fin, Dan uh, Finlay of uh, of MetaMask MetaMask fame mm. invented this different auction thing, and he named it after Matt. He it's an acronym. Right. I forget for what, but he named it after Matt. Anyway, so acronym, yeah. so right. the the street continues. Anyway, go, street go, continues.
2: <laughs> um, to GM, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit more catchy. But yes. um, so we were thinking at the time how are we going to discover the value of cryptographs like these historically unique, interesting artworks? we have no idea about price discovery for these things. Okay. They were obviously going to have to go to auction. And then we were playing around with, okay, well, what is the best auction system for these things? What could we do on chain? Obviously we immediately started looking at Dutch auction because of the easy ability to implement, but then we immediately were like, well, there's serious front running problems there. And these kinds of things. And then we looked at English and so we did a lot of low ground. And then it kind of hit us. The three of us were literally sitting in a room. And I remember my CTO bouncing on one of his exercise pools, Guillaume. And he just suddenly clicked and he was like, We can we can pay people to bid. And I was like, No, nah, no, nah, what, what are you talking about? And he was like, Well, with smart contracts, digital money, etc., we can we can implement this 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 mechanic. And so essentially in a GVM auction, there are only two outcomes. You either make money or you win the asset. They're the only two outcomes in the auction, which may, which means, very exciting price discovery and creating the incentive to participate. And one of the big problems in auctions is that you don't have enough participants in a room to create interesting price discovery. So that's one way where it, it it introduces interesting new dynamics. But I guess a simple way to try and explain it, you know, if you bid a hundred and I bid two hundred, you'll get your hundred back out of the smart contract immediately with a with a with a differential with ten, you'll get one hundred and ten. So essentially the way that works from a system perspective is if you'll say the final bidder, you bid a thousand, the seller would get 800, let's say, and 200 has been distributed at varying incremental rates of return to everybody in the bidding chain. And so the seller is essentially foregoing 20% of their value to create better price discovery, because in an English auction, they would have sold it for like 500, let's say. So from a sort of simple, simplistic perspective, that's what it is and how it works. And, um, This was um, super interesting for us because at the time we were like, okay, this is amazing. We put it all down on paper. We wrote a long paper on it. We put a bunch of info into it. And turns out that it hasn't been done before because I guess economists weren't thinking about smart contracts and.
1: Right, how could you possibly pay all the people who put their paddle up? You know, right, like
2: like some guy Christie's with a wad of cash running around handing out money. You have to like trust that that guy isn't just going to like run off with the with the with the hundred grand worth of cash that they've got in their account. Yeah,
1: yeah, this feels like it would accelerate very quickly that like that slope or whatever as you get to like the actual final realized price.
2: Yeah, so the so the English auction is kind of like a slowly increasing. Curve, and then a tiny little tick up at the end. With Every, the, with and, and
0: everybody has experienced this. Where all the au- all the action on an English auction happens right, at the very minutes, very very last, hour, last ten minutes. Whatever,
2: yeah. yeah, and then in a GBM auction, it's all in the first five minutes. Like all the price discovery. If people are playing game theoretically, kind of optimally, are like straight up to the top. And then there's a little flick up at the end, kind of because people still just with time pressure and the weird sort of English auction dominant design behavior. we still get that little flicker.
0: But everybody's like game theorizing out, like, how much am I willing to pay for this thing? But then also, how much can I bid below that to get money back if I don't win, to maximize my
2: my money back? if If you get the two behaviors, if you get the incentive hunters and the people who want to own it, and you get both of them in a room bidding, you get really exciting price discovery, basically. And This is really cool. Yeah, it creates... Yeah, it does some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, some of the numbers we've done, like, so the first guys to integrate it were Avogotchi, so Jesse and Dan, because they were bidding on Cryptograph back in the day. And when they started Avogotchi and they were sort of releasing their characters, they were like, we need this for our system. And we hadn't really thought at the time about integrating it or licensing it out or whatever it was. And, um, they were the first to sort of do that with us. And so we, and, you know, it's now turned into its own product basically. But the, um, the effects were amazing. So they did 10,000 release of characters with fixed price and English auction mixture. That was their first release um, when GBM wasn't around. And then they did it like two months later with GBM, 10,000 characters. And we did experimenting with different presets. So we did like a 5% return, a 10% return, a 25% return, like DGN preset, normal, low preset. And I, we changed the, the bottom line by like 160, 170%. And the big thing for them that was a discovery for us was that the community had way more fun because when they did their first drop, like 50,000 players or 50,000 people in the community, five, 10,000 assets, 5,000 people end up getting all the assets and 45,000 people go out and spread FUD. This was bad, hate this, rug pull, whatever scam. <laughs> and in GBM, six 7,000 people got the assets similarly because the wealthiest end up being able to outbid others, but everybody made a bit of money and had loads of fun. So the discord was full of like, everybody made money. Everybody wins. It's kind of everybody. part of the the, 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 the bid to earn sort of nomenclature, let's say.
0: So we're going to be implementing this for song a day. As soon as it's like, when I met Hugo at DEF CON, I immediately went on the song of Dao discord and was like, guys, <laughs> listen to this. And yeah. So we're, we're sort of working on it, but I just want to like, you guys have this spreadsheet that I just love, which shows like all the different values, you know, like, like, and it's described on the spreadsheet as like, you know, low, medium, high degen, kind of like, and what's so interesting. And it makes total sense. There's like big bold letters where it's like, do not mess with these figures. Right. It's like, if you, if you move any of these numbers too far in one direction or another, you're going to totally fuck everything up and like yeah. and 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 pe- you know you won't be left with any money at the end of the auction or whatever or like or whatever so it's like this very delicate balance but you guys have have done a ton of research and have a ton of like backing to know that it's going to work the way that you know that we want it yeah to. yeah like
2: we've we've done like 50,000 100,000 auctions through the system we've probably done about 2 to 300 million dollars worth of bidding volume we always collect that data with all the partners that we work with so that's all about trying to hone and sort of find out what the optimal minimum step increases and caps on returns are going to be to maximize price discovery. And that's part of the integration process with us. Like we help with the game theory. We think about whether in your specific case, maybe there's a tweak here or there that might be better. But in general, at the moment, the, the 5% increase and the 10% return is cap return is usually the best result at the moment. And obviously that rate of return that you get is variable based on how much you outbid the previous person. So, you know, if you bid a hundred and I bid 101 and then I'm outbid the return on my 101 is tiny. But if I double your previous bid, if I do 200, my, my return is obviously greater.
1: This makes a lot of sense. And I wish we had known about this even earlier for pleaser, pleaser house, the auction house that pleaser Dow is building.
0: Right. Right. Maybe it's a season two thing.
1: Well, honestly, maybe even, yeah. Halfway through season one or something. Cause yeah, we, we want to run a fast paced auction that arrives at its price very quickly because the show is an hour long and you don't want the auction to go right. for so long. And all of these crypto auctions are like 24 hours. So yeah, this makes a lot of sense. It's very cool. And I do love how the, like the crowd is basically betting on, you know, the, the people who are just there to win their 10%, they're kind of betting that the price is higher than the, what they're paying. And yeah, I mean uh, they're, getting, you know, they're getting they're getting rewarded
2: in, in real time for helping to discover the value of the asset, basically.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. really yeah. fun. Wow. This is this is excellent.
2: Yeah, so that's that was, I guess, the other innovation out of our experimentation with cryptograph, which has now got its own kind of life to it. And there's you know GBM website and product and stuff. You can we've got a Twitter and you can go check it out and look at it.
0: GBM, GBM.auction is the site yeah. if you want to go there. Yeah, GBM.auction.
2: GBM. 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 And we I guess we um out of when we first implemented GBM for example on cryptograph, we did it in like a super decentralized manner. And I remember bidding costs going from like fifty cents before summer, DeFi summer, mm. to like fifteen hundred dollars to place a bid. Because it's quite complicated <laughs> logic. You have to reference the previous bid, there's some security things in there so that you can't front run and these kinds of things. So it yeah, it got pretty expensive to bid, so we had to look at that and rework that and come up with new solutions. But, yeah, basically, the journey of cryptograph and the beginnings of GBM and just spending time in the space and doing what we were doing led to like us deciding that, okay, well, there's a lot of problems that we want to solve, and there's a lot of things that with a goal to try and bring this technology to the early majority, right? the next stage of the innovation adoption cycle, how are we going to do this? And all of that thinking culminated in NFT, which we're releasing in beta, live beta in the process of this week, hopefully going live next week in terms of like full functionality of what you can do in the beta. And the goal of that is really multi-chain NFT marketplace. So the long-term goal is any network. So any, any, any NFT on any network in any currency. That's what we'd like to be able to provide. And we've built quite an interesting tech stack to be able to do that. So like we build our own L1.
0: Does that include uh, counterparty? Does that include, is it, are we talking about not, also?
2: Not, not yet, but I don't see why that's not possible, and you know, at the very least, at least integrating Bitcoin as a native payment layer for it, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. if you want to buy these things directly in Bitcoin, you you should be able to, and that's mm-hmm. going to be on the on the roadmap. But so yeah, we built we built kind of this very vertically integrated tech stack from the ground up. So we have this L1, which is just called MyChain, which is a, a Substrate frontier chain because we love a lot of the things about Polkadot. We also love a lot of the things about Ethereum. And this kind of gives us the best of both worlds as a, as a beginning part of the stack. And then that allows us to interact with lots of different networks and send messages to lots of different networks. So the goal is to give the best UX to sort of new people coming into the space. You can do all the direct interactions via that chain to make it faster, easier, quicker. And that's like a fully auditable, public, readable database, basically. I mean, it's a, it's a blockchain. So you can see that we can't spoof and everything has to be signed, etc., But it means we can give really good user interactions, but also from there, then send the settlement messages to the networks where the NFT actually sits for the secure secure purposes of wherever that person wants their NFT. And then it goes, the stack sort of goes all the way up from there to content delivery, pinning, IPFS, lots of different things that we do, like internally to try and get the best experience for people. But yeah, the goal is, so to start with next, from next week, you should be able to trade Moonbeam, Moonriver, Ethereum mainnet, Binance Smart Chain, and Polygon NFTs. So obviously all EVMs at the moment, and be able to do it in any of their mainnet currencies, and you know sort of USDC and WEth and even wrap Bitcoin at the moment. So some some solid ERC twenties, and um, using GVM, which is the big the idea of trying to make this technology more mainstream is well let's put it into a marketplace that anybody. Yeah, can interact with rather than like a specific B2B like white label integration which is happy to do but like this just puts it in the hands of everyone and so that's the that's the sort of initial goal and then we've got lots of other things that we kind of want to bring in I, I guess our mission is like bring new people into the space and make this technology more accessible but we also really care about bringing new kinds of assets on chain so We live in a world of of, of PFPs, fine, cool, exciting, but this technology's got, (laughs) we can start bringing new kinds of assets, which is the longer road, but something that we like, you know, want to, want to help create basically.
0: I'm curious about in terms of GBM, you know, right now the way you're doing it is you, you know, you have, you have a smart contracts and you'll license, you know, the use of them let's say my nft does really well especially because of this technology you don't have any particular kind of moat around that like other other or do you like other marketplaces well, could come in yeah, and yeah, say we we really like this and they could sort of reverse engineer and and do their own version of it is that
2: true well world? there's there's i guess i guess there's like web 2 world and web 3 world sure, so sure. we've got all of the traditional licensing and ip protection rights etc over the technology that we that we invented and but that's i guess predominantly i guess going to be for the web 2 audience in some ways mm-hmm. but it can be applied to web 3 you know if if you know if you're yes if need right, be yeah needs be right the goal eventually would be to be able to i mean what we do so far with it in terms of the monetization of it is like the cost benefit for people just makes like zero cents to try and circumvent like we charge right. a tiny fee and we change your bottom line by like 160 percent right so and the game theory is very fragile the consultation the data is important yeah to yeah. get it right and so yeah. the, the cost benefit to you just so that and that,
0: so yes so not only do you have so you have a moat of ip licensing but also you have this moat of all the research you've done
1: yeah the of experience the motive right, right
0: yeah exactly
2: and like exactly that
1: yeah. Also, the day, effect of being the inventors,
2: be, right? One day it would be cool if if we could like, well, I mean, it's, it's far off, but like aggregate yeah. every GDM auction that ever happens ever on anything, yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. like
2: put it all into like one kind of like API or space where anybody can play the game or bid, and like, yeah, in that way, potentially then sort of decentralize it, maybe create a, a token for that world at some point. But we that's, take that's little steps, off, yeah, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the road.
0: The the other question I had about my NFT. So so essentially, I mean mynft.com great domain by the way. Like congrats on on having that domain. People are going to be able to create, you know, th- this is a sort of like OpenSea or Rarible not just a marketplace aggregator, but also a marketplace where people can create their own NFTs. Are people creating their own contracts when they're doing this? Or is, there, is it sort of more like OpenSea or or Rarible where there's like a, a shared, one big shared contract?
2: So the goal is to, again, give optionality. It's like, you want to build your own contract. Here are the buttons and toggles in a nice front-facing interface-type fashion that as you're pressing them, something on the back end is being created and deployed. There's probably more expense for the user related sure, to sure. those kinds of, of contracts, But, and then the same one would be whether we're doing a kind of bulk sort of lazy mint or in a singular contract that's run by us, et cetera. But the goal, the goal for us is always optionality. I see. Which means a little bit more work and takes a lot more time. So our minting is still in its early stages of development, but the goal is to get the first version out in the next three months. But that is definitely the idea, you know, at the moment I feel that the minting infrastructure of the space is fairly, I guess like an MVP, it's like. Yeah, Here's my image or my media title, metadata, uh, well, description. You have,
0: you have Manifold, right? Manifold exists right, now. Right, and right, right. most, you know, most, most like art focused specifically marketplaces or even sound mm-hmm. too, like Sound XYZ, Catalog, Foundation, Super yeah, Rare have yeah, all yeah. moved yeah, to a model of you own your contract. Your contract is specifically yeah. yours. It's not a shared contract.
2: Yeah. Yeah
0: you know, when I minted my first year, and this is like, like something that I really wish I hadn't done. When I minted my first year of song a day on OpenSea, the barrier to entry was very low and I was able to do lazy minting. So it was free, more or less, you know, I cost to create the contract, but, but it was shared. And so dealing with those NFTs is like such a pain in the ass because the token IDs don't make any sense. And like, so yes, it, it is. It is very MVP, but it has also come a long way. I would say in in yeah. you know yeah. in the two years since since and in the almost two years since NFTs uh, <laughs> went a step yeah. more mainstream, right. or if, even like user friendly minting was a thing.
2: Let's say right, like yeah,
0: exactly. yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Like as soon as user friendly minting was a thing, that's what I minted. Song a day. I was like, well, this right. is like just what I've been waiting for. So like I didn't have to have my own. Con- I didn't have to hire somebody. I could just do it as soon as I did it. But it was like the trade-offs were there. And I feel like the trade-offs have gotten less and less and less as in De- the last definitely years. Definitely
2: agreed. Yeah. Definitely agreed. And I think that the better that, that kind of onboarding interface for what comes into tokenized world becomes the more we're going to see, obviously, the technology percolate and iterate and bring new assets on chain and all this kind of stuff and empower creators or any kind of creator, which is, again, a big part of like, what, we, what we're trying to achieve.
1: I had a question about the uh, UX difficulties of building a site that's like cross-chain, all these currencies, mm, etc. Mm, have you all thought about mm. that? And um, how do you uh, handle is bridging involved? All of that, yeah,
2: yeah. So we spend, yeah, we spend time thinking about that. Let's say it's a challenge. So the way that it works on on my NFT specifically is there's a there's a prepaid balance infrastructure. So you can connect any of your wallets. In the beta, it'll be fairly limited, but again, it, you know, as we, as we iterate, it'll get easier and easier. But
1: of course. Yeah. You
2: connect your wallets and then you deposit a remit to the prepaid balance. And that allows you to spend any kind of currency that we support on any of the networks that we support. So it's essentially, it. yeah, totally. It's essentially working through a, through a, through a prepaid balance kind of, yeah, in, interface and system. Right.
1: And is when that like to, behind the scenes, like bridging to the L1 and then like withdrawing from the prepaid?
2: Yeah, yeah. There, 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 there's a bit of that. There's, I mean, my CTO, this sort of begins to get a little bit out of my domain expertise and my CTO. Sure, sure, sorry. To yeah. Answer some of these questions. But it's basically all interactions with our, with my chain, basically. And then that's where really all of the accounting and interactions is done. And then totally. we're, sending, we're, sending, yep. we're sending messages to, to the settlement layer when that, for when that's needed.
1: That makes perfect sense. Yeah, so I could buy a Polygon NFT with f- by funding through Arbitrum, that kind for, of thing. Like yeah. you,
2: could, you could buy a Polygon NFT with Glimmer, or you could buy a, a Binance NFT with.
1: Cool. That's yeah, super totally. fun, right? Like this that- does make a yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then yeah. and then the goal is yeah, and then the goal is eventually we want like we want to bring in multi currency market listings, right? So like we want people to be able to be like I'm selling my my punk or whatever it is. I'm indexing it in dollars, but I'm accepting. Glimmer, wrap Bitcoin and Polygon all in the same auction or offer. Yeah, right? totally. So you can, if you
1: have oracles, then you get... And you can help increase liquidity for...
2: Right, right.
1: Totally.
2: So these are all places where we kind of want to move, move into. Yeah, and that base cool. infrastructure allows for that. But yeah, UX is a challenge. I mean, just in terms of like, I mean, we're starting with five EVM chains. There's four or five others on the, not EVM-based ones that are on the list. You know, there's Solana, Tezos, Flow, others like Bitcoin as a payment side of it, you know, that we'd want to bring into the family of things that we support let's say each one being its own challenge but very doable with our with our infra and so you almost you're at a point where like okay well if i'm a user how am i you know, how am i navigating <laughs> the, the world of you know how do i even know what chain it's on like it's about having the right little like right, logos course. explaining that and drop downs and sorts and all this kind of stuff so yeah at a well, certain it, at a certain yeah, point like to- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man.
1: Oh, I was just going to say it gets easier with the sort of internal balance account, the prepaid balance model, because your fungible tokens doesn't really matter what chain they're on anymore. That's what
0: I was going to say. Yeah. And
1: it's just your NFTs that are like exactly. So I imagine, I imagine y'all don't bridge any NFTs over. So we
2: did did build, so we spent, again, I guess this kind of goes back to our, 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 our journey. We obviously spent a long time thinking about new kinds of assets. And NFTs are interesting. We're in a world of like permissionless and fungible stuff initially. And that I want to perpetuate and grow, obviously. But with NFTs, because value is kind of different and they can be lots of different things at once. And it's a canvas which you can code a bunch of different things into. Right. There's a deeper connection to like existing frameworks of ownership and IP law and these kinds of things. So, one problem, for example, that we were thinking about was, okay, I've got a crypto kitty. My crypto kitty lives on Ethereum, but I want to move my crypto kitty to Moonbeam because of economies of scale, cheaper gas, funner universe. Who knows? Now, on doing that right now, okay, well, if it's just liquidity, I guess I could issue like a deed, racking, right, essentially. Right. A deed trade that over there, redeem, redeem elsewhere. But what if I want to breed my kitties on Moonbeam?
1: Right. It's more so, contextual of an right. asset. It's like ERC20s, exactly. sort of by definition and also by like cultural cons- uh, consensus, are yes, just yeah. tokens of values that are perfectly fungible, et cetera. And the vast majority of them don't have any custom code. They don't have any like crazy, like hyper specific chain logic. Whereas like CryptoKitties, all of that is in their case, Ethereum mainnet specific, like that kind of thing. And yeah, you it'd be impossible to do to generalize the idea of bridging an NFT unless you boil it down to its most basic properties, which I think is what you meant with the deed. The wrapper is just like ownership, right. transfer, burn,
2: right? Um, but right. that's
1: like sort of reductive. It's not what you necessarily want that NFT for.
2: T- totally. And so we were sort of thinking, what if in a world where games publishers want to move their assets for players? or give the freedom for players to move them outside of their walled gardens or between gardens, right? How do we enable that? And so we spent some time with the Web3 Foundation thinking about this new kind of... where we were given a grant by them to figure out this new NFT migration protocol that we've done a lot of work on, which is, is out there, which is basically the a standard or a protocol as to how you can migrate an NFT with full functionality. Cool. So What's
1: that called? How do I find it?
2: It's called... It's, it's, it's the NFT... It, we've got a small telegram group and it's a google doc at the moment it's just called the nft migration protocol
1: great but i'm interested
2: I, yeah yeah i can definitely you'll be able to find it the i guess the formal manner is through the web3 foundation github uh, grants programs and you'll see perpetual altruism limited which is the name of our company as a grantee in like wave nine or something and you'll be able to follow everything through there but i can also just ping I'll ping Jonathan cool. and, and yeah. after this. The, the how does that?
1: If you uh, wanted to give a very short overview, how does that work?
2: So yeah, so it's 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 essentially the moving of a, of a of an NFT, but in a permissioned in more of a permissioned fashion, basically. So the original publisher or creator, right? If I've got a smart contract universe, uh-huh, and Moonbeam, yes, totally, okay. Ethereum, and I'm like, here is my CryptoKitty universe that Dapper Labs has built on Moonbeam. This is where the Provenance is. Legit, this is where the breeding functionality will work as planned, etc. You move it across the bridge in that permission fashion with the original IP creator's kind of blessing. And totally. in, that, in that manner, you can track, you know, you can really track these things moving between worlds and you can follow the provenance and you can understand that someone that just spun up the CryptoKitty universe V2 on Moonbeam is not what we know and love totally. as CryptoKitties. That's it.
1: Totally. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. This r- reflects, I think, how a lot of bridges are done. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so we, we, and then we sort of separated this, Yeah, the bridges and relays. So bridges where the storage occurs, obviously makes it a, a honeypot, but relays obviously is doing the writing into the bridge. And we've made it so that, you know, anybody can create a relay and the market can trust who is what relay. Like, do I want to centralized one, a fully decentralized one? Does it, is it my NFT's relay that has the most to lose or is it this person's relay, and therefore, who am I going to trust mm. to do my writing into the bridge? Let's right, think.
1: totally. It feels like um, a proposer builder separation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm,
2: right, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. right. So, that, so yeah, that's so that's still, really smart. Then I like that. Yeah, and and so we've got a first version. So mynft.bridge.com or bridge.mynft.com, sorry, is the first V1 of this working specifically between Moonbeam and Ethereum. The full utility, like we, we call them like, um, we call them full migration and IOU migration, which IOU basically being wrapping at the moment wrapping and everything is working there. But in due course, I need to have a catch up actually with, with, with my head of the bridge, but in due course, I think the first version of the, the full utility migration should be, should be up and running between both of those networks. Very cool. Because obviously we want to be in a world where people can move their, move their stuff.
1: Totally. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's smart, and even if even without the IOU or the full like uh, you know working with someone who's doing a cross bridge or a cross chain thing, keeping the NFT on its host chain and being able to trade it with arbitrary sure yeah yeah sources of value is still pretty pretty awesome.
0: I was gonna say on you know on that front, it's like there's so many things I've seen like on Tezos or on Polygon or Arbitrum where I'm like. Oh, I want that. And then I'm just like, uh,
1: right. But like, then I have to go do the, all of this stuff. Yeah. Let me like buy Tezos stuff. NFTs yeah. with and ETH. and Yeah. We'll and be talking. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Like, let me go to a place and I find the NFT on there and just pay an ETH, which I have in my wallet. I don't have to think about it. I fund right. it. Like, yeah, I love that. I think it's just like, yeah, it totally changes the, it changes it. Yeah. yeah it makes it.
2: Yeah, I just want to make it easy. And, and for us, the same kind of goes with fiat. Right? Like we want, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It's being rolled out in different stages, but you know, there's. There'll be like a top up your account via an ramper Then there'll be like check out with a card, and then there'll be a deeper integration that we're thinking about with sort of bigger payments companies that can service marketplaces. But the idea is to, yeah. I mean, like average Joe is going to come in with a PayPal or be used to a Stripe interface. Right. They're not going to come in with a MetaMask. I mean, right. our market will. You know, uh, the the early adopters will, but people were timing. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Eventually, exactly. I mean, you know, and and. You know, maybe you know they start through the fiat interface and then slowly over time begin to realize that actually it's a lot easier and nicer in many ways to just do it with my crypto. but let's let's you know, time will tell, right 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 on that side of things
1: very cool. So by the time that this episode airs, I think um this will be in beta phase or really yeah, so Within goal like a goal is
2: goal is next goal is next week,
1: oh, yeah, then yeah, definitely. If you're hearing
2: this. Probably- Probably looking at middle middle of middle of next week is the idea that you'll be able to crypto only to start with, but those first five chains I mentioned and experience GBM and use all of the relevant supported currencies.
0: And so yeah, and so for context, you could you could uh, take your uh, gobbler and put it up for a GBM auction. Ideally, as soon as soon as a, a week and a half from now on my NFT. Put it up for a GBM auction and experience that, right? Precisely. Pre- yeah. yeah. Exactly.
2: Exactly. That's, yeah.
0: That's big. Yeah. I feel like that's that's uh that's a big so deal. yeah. It and will help yes. with the general you know
2: communication of this distribution mechanic, this price discovery. Mechanic. I
0: was gonna say, you know, because like the one one thing we talked about with you and and we've talked about internally in Songdo was like, yeah, like part of the challenge with this is like get, you know familiarizing people with like. In fact, it was you or. One of your colleagues had even said to us that basically, like, the easy part is the smart contract integration, is the yeah. setting up of the back end of the auction, how it works. The more difficult thing, the heavier lift is creating a new front end that helps people yeah. understand what the hell is well, going 100%. on. Yeah. You know, and
2: uh, Avantgotchi did a really great job of that, which is why we show yes. their UX as examples. As to, an example, to right. Partners that we work with. But, um, yeah i mean their their, their land sales are great you know they had a little box that says like you know incentives made or or returns yeah. made like active current right. bid, what return preset is on the current bids they even it did a very dangerous thing in my opinion, which I think is great of uh, the every time you get out bid there's a little ka-ching noise
0: <laughs> uh,
2: and um yeah they did lots of really cool stuff like that and there's a couple of videos actually, the first auction on YouTube I think I called no futuristic one of their um community members was sort of live streaming the first auction. And you can see the behavior change in a person like in real time, who sort of arrives at an auction, doesn't massively know what's kind of going on. And then as it becomes clearer and clearer through the process, what's happening, you know, begins to just lose, lose their shit. <laughs> the,
0: the, the game you can you can hear and watch the game theory the game go through his head. in real time. is like, Oh, 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 wait a minute. Right. Like this, right, you know, right. it's like, it's really cool. Yeah, it's really neat to experience. <laughs> Hugo, where... Okay, so mynft.com, go yeah. there, bookmark it. You'll be able to check all of this stuff out soon. GBM.auction, another place to, to look to learn more about GBM. And cryptograph.com is the other one. Oh, yeah, cryptograph.com is the other place.
2: And the thing for cryptograph is coming sort of slightly further down the line is Will... Because no one integrates... No one has integrated the like 2665 thing we were talking about earlier. So there's been no secondary market for it, really. So we're going to do a connection there with NFT, which will support as many oh, of the royalty functions and systems out there. So that might create a bit of interesting, bring it back to the fore a bit.
0: Well, and I'll say, too, because those cryptograph NFTs are... In air quotes, historical, right? Because I think they, they're pretty special.
2: Yeah. And, the whole, and there's only a there's only 100 produced. And the whole idea for us was we were really like going crazy on the one on one and wanting to like yeah, yeah. find things and creators that, you know, some of them are very rudimentary, but it's more about the message than I guess the artwork in, in, in many ways.
0: Is there literally no way to do a secondary? Like if
2: one goes no, to you can, or, you, can on, yeah. you can on Cryptograph itself. On Cryptograph, yeah. So the way, the way it sort of works there is you'll see it in the market, some people have things called auction triggers. Yeah. So an auction trigger is where someone is willing to sell Yeah. because you can only buy and sell them via GBM at the moment. And yeah. an auction trigger is like, I'm willing to start an auction at this price. And then if you do, that's where like, the auction begins. And then another GBM starts for three days, I think.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking at like the Vitalik one. The auction trigger is 100 right. ETH. Right, right,
2: yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. So and it was last. One... And it was right, and it was bought for 77 ETH. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, those are the three the three things. But yeah, definitely the the big one at the moment is is my NFT, and fingers crossed we get that that stable beater out, and then lots of exciting things people can start playing around with the with the tech.
0: Oh my totally. god, you got Tom Morello? That's amazing
2: yeah he did it he did a hippo
0: wow that's that's hilarious i don't show this to like many Tom Morello fans because they would be so mad if if they knew that Tom Morello did an nft that would just like <laughs> melt their brains literally yeah
2: the really the really cool ones were the um yeah matt bellamy ones where he did these like for his solo album he did we did some really cool artwork there
0: oh amazing so cryptograph.com at dot gbm.auction you can follow hugo on twitter at h n m c d o n a u g h h n mcdonough you can follow me at songadayman. man you can follow matt at one of the many mats hugo pleasure as always i saw you on two continents in 3 weeks last week in the last month that was fun thanks so much for joining us once again this was fascinating as always
2: absolute pleasure guys um was a lot of fun and um yeah it was great to catch up with you in devcon and barca jonathan that was that was a barca
0: was, barca was a cool event i enjoyed it. that was such a good event yeah yeah i was telling Matt all about. sorry
1: it. i missed it yeah <laughs> <Next> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah time. next time next time all right so Bye. long y'all cheers cool. guys oh, yeah.